waiting. The action of staying where one is. Time passing. Expecting something to happen until one day it does. Advent is a time of waiting, of hope, of anticipation. God tells us in Galatians that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Advent is the church in waiting, the church's yearly reminder each December of what Christians worldwide anticipate in the days before Christmas. We wait for Christmas as Israel waited centuries for a Savior, for God to fulfill His covenant. They waited for a virgin son to Abraham's line, a descendant of Isaac, Jacob, and David, for a branch from the rod of Jesse, for a baby born in Bethlehem called Emmanuel. For generations, God's people waited for the fulfillment of countless Old Testament prophecies of a Savior who would light this world brighter than any Magi star. Jesus was the long-awaited hope to a dark and sinful world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. As Christians wait for the light of Christmas, the four Advent candles are lit with each week's passing, and blue decorates the altar to receive our King with hope. But we know that our hoping and waiting doesn't stop at Christmas because he's coming back on the last day, a second advent. So as we hope for Christmas, we continue to wait and pray for our Savior to come again. So here we are wrapping up our celebration of Advent on this fourth Sunday. That period of time that has kind of grown into the calendar has comprised the four Sundays before Christmas Day where believers prepare themselves to commemorate, to celebrate, and contemplate Christ's coming as a baby. Not only that, but the way he has come into our lives. And now, as his future return as king and judge of the living and the dead. We have looked at four themes over these past couple of weeks. And I'm really, really grateful, as I mentioned the last time, uh, when we started off this series, that we, we broke with tradition in that the, the four themes that were normally associated with Advent were really themes that were indicative of what happened after Christ came. The joy, the peace, the love. But the true spirit of Advent is one of waiting for Christ's arrival. And so when we got to think about how we would reframe Advent in a way that instructs us, inspires us, and really helps us to re-anchor this incredible season back in Scripture, we realize that there are four themes that are a lot more true to the spirit of Advent. That indeed, God comes 
as light into our darkness, and that in the human predicament of being away from him and being lost, he made promises, first of all, to Israel, then ultimately to all peoples, that he would come back, that he would make things right, that he would bring people as far away from him as possible to himself. And that those promises filled hearts with hope. But as much as God has done all of this to get our attention and to awaken us to the fact that there are certain things that he is going to do, he calls upon us to do the one thing he cannot do for us, and that is simply to wait, to wait patiently as we watch for God to fulfill his incredible work. And so, all of this culminates with the, the celebration of Christmas, when we celebrate once again with worship and wonder the fact that God came to us as a baby. He arrived on our turf, in our, our world, and became, as, as Carlene was sharing with us earlier, you know, he came to us in a way that we could get it we could understand. And today, we are going to look at this last theme. The theme of waiting, and I think probably the theme of waiting is the one that we can all relate to, maybe more than the others. There's a sense of waiting being a universal experience for people. I mean, even in the the unbelieving world that gets caught up with Christmas every year, there's a sense of anticipation. They can't wait for the Christmas day. So you got your advent calendar and your chocolates and you're munching away and you're counting down to the day when, when little Susie will open up her presents and find um, the kind of Barbie that, that talks and, and sings and raps. Because she doesn't chew tobacco, throw her away. I want another one for next year. We wait all over again. Well, if your child's looking for a Barbie to choose tobacco, then I think we've got bigger issues at stake. (laughs) Maybe I should have been a G.I. Joe, right? A G.I. Joe who kind of talks and fights and chews tobacco, yeah. Barbies don't chew tobacco. Um, A proper biblical understanding of the Christmas story, and and please forgive me for the jest, is one that will not only help us to worship Christ for the wonder of his first coming, but it will also motivate us to wait in confident expectation of a second coming as we watch with anticipation for the ways he chooses to come to us daily. And that is the part of Advent I think sometimes it gets lost in our celebration. As I look through the many, many writers who have written profoundly and um, greatly on the theme of Advent, I was stunned to find out how many actually spoke of the threefold aspect of Advent. It wasn't just the fact that Christ came. It wasn't just the fact that he's coming back. 
but that the, the in-between his first and only arrival, uh, a one-time coming, a one-time coming back, there are many, many, many occasions where he comes to his people. Why more to some and not to others? Can't explain that. But he comes. He comes to us. He comes to us daily. And if Scripture's correct, there are so many times that we miss the way he comes to us on a daily basis. Because we're so geared and and worked up to expecting Jesus to come a certain way to us that we lose out on the ways that he does come to us. You have to understand, in the same way that Israel was looking for a conquering Messiah to come in and deliver her from her enemies, God shows up at her doorstep as a baby. Totally missed it. I'm hoping that somehow today we'll catch a glimpse of the many ways that he comes to us daily so that our celebration of Advent is not just the past, not just the future, but it's also tied up into the ways that Jesus comes to you and comes to me on a daily basis. The present Advent, if you wish. Well, I want to start with a starting point, obviously, a a context, kind of like a a central point where we, we anchor our Christmas story. Now, Um, The truth is, is that when you're talking about the first coming of Jesus or even the second coming of Jesus, it's really kind of hard just to limit it to one little area and say, well, here's this one chapter that kind of covers everything, and we're good. We can just read it, and we can go home. The truth is, is that it starts from Genesis, and it goes all the way to Revelation. So it's really kind of, you know, where you want to land sometimes Uh, is a challenge. But what we have said is that Luke chapter 1 and 2 is probably a very safe place to start. Simply because, not only because, it's the story of Christ's birth, but the times that Israel was living in is depicted and described in those two little chapters. And that there is one prophecy tied into the first chapter of Luke that is given by an elderly priest that I think for the most part just goes over our heads when we read it. Because in some respects, when, when you think of the way we experience Christmas here in North America, to read those verses, you, you end up with this sense of a complete disconnect. It's like you're saying, Zechariah, what are you talking about? And here's this man in the space of maybe 30 verses who talks about how God has been faithful to his promises from way back at the birth of Israel to fulfill them by allowing an untimely birth to a couple who are well, well past their childbearing years to take place. 
And this birth is going to precede another birth of the Messiah. And he's talking about this as if it's already taken place. Israel's enemies have been conquered. The land has been restored. People are free. They're experiencing joy. God's people are celebrating. And while he's prophesying this, his wife has just given birth. And Jesus is still in Mary's body. And so right from the outset in the Christmas story, you get this sense of there's already, but not yet. Already things have been promised. It looks like they're coming to pass, but they're quite, not, not quite yet there. And I think if there's anything that characterizes our own challenges with waiting for God to do what he has promised, is this ongoing tension that we live in, the already, but the not yet. Zechariah's language is replete with this already, not yet. This language of waiting and watching, of expecting and anticipating, but we still got to wait. Now, Pastor Shannon, uh, last time he spoke, tied into the themes, the theme of promise and hope, and that was an incredible amount of biblical territory to tie in. And he did a fantastic job. So I'm just going to kind of bridge what he spoke about and tied into waiting. So the question, obviously, is what on earth does hope have to do with waiting? How does light, promise, hope feed into waiting? Well, if hope is the outcome of believing God's promises, so waiting is the outcome of having hope. If hope is characterized by confident expectation, then waiting is characterized by constant anticipation. This anticipation, this, this eagerness associated with waiting for something to occur. Just a little glimpse of this. Paul says, now in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Beautiful verse. Nice black and white. Nice on paper. But living this out tries us for all that we are worth. Waiting for the first advent. Um... It was already read, so I think I'm going to go through this quite quickly. But I have nicknamed Simeon, Simeon, the patron saint of watch, wait and see. Or wait and see, either way. You got to go back and read the story in its entirety to catch just the beautiful significance of what has happened. Here again, once again, an elderly man. The truth is, he's hanging on to the last little bit of life that he has left because he is saying, God has spoken to me 
And he has told me personally that I will not die until I see his promise fulfilled, the coming of his Messiah. Luke chapter 2, the beautiful story, we all know it and it's been read earlier today. Simeon waited, he watched, he saw it. I'm just going to go ahead. The same was said of Anna later on in the same chapter in Joseph of Arimathea, who was looking for the consolation of Israel. The point is, is that a small little remnant of people took their hope in the promises of God and lived it out in terms of waiting for God to do what he promised he would do. They held on. They watched. They anticipated. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to think about this and, and, and contemplate on it, I guess. But can you, can you imagine being Simeon? Who would you tell? Who would you tell? The, who would you say, right? And we've heard them. Who would you say to, God has told me that I'm going to see the Messiah? That's like anybody in this room, more mature folks, coming up to Pastor Shannon and saying, I am not going to die until I see the second coming of Christ. There are certain places where that would raise an eyebrow that might even get you a nice fancy white jacket and your own private room. Think about it. He anticipated, he watched, and he waited, and he saw with his own very eyes. We are waiting for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. One thing that has been a real change for me in my celebration of Christmas is that I look equally to the future coming of Christ as I do to the past. Not that there's anything wrong in looking only to the past. He came. And everything changes because he came, but everything is going to change because he came. And I know that living in the world that we presently live in, with all of its stuff, with all of its bravado, with all of its accomplishments and progress, it's really, really hard at times, if we be honest with ourselves, to think about the second coming. Unless you're an absolute pessimist and you see clouds everywhere and, well, yeah, you But the point is, is that you look at this world now and you say, boy, is he really coming back to this? And you might feel isolated in this belief. Probably no different than the handful of individuals in Jesus' day who are actually believing that Messiah would come. We've already, um, as a matter of fact, we didn't read this verse. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lusts, and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed, I can't see, hope. 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for this to take place. And we read this in Hebrews. He is going to appear a second time for those who are waiting for him. Now, I think we've all experienced what I would, I, I, I guess, maybe it's just fair to say, uh, second coming burnout, right? I mean, all the individuals who had it all figured out, they told you what day Jesus was going to come, only to recant and to go and live in the mountain, in the woods, in a cabin so he can never be found. And, and people going, oh, man, we got duped again because we believe so-and-so and we bought the book. So I understand that we do go through second coming burnout. But the truth is, is that even when we're frustrated, burnt out, and tired of hearing one more crackpot write a book about when Jesus is coming back, the truth is, is that he is coming back, and we're closer now, even while we're burnt out hearing about it, we're closer now than we were when we first got burnt out. I'm not burnt out, I'm just, I'm, I'm mystified, but anyhow, that's, that's besides the point. Interestingly enough, in church history, do you know that the celebration of Advent didn't begin with the celebrating of the birth? That individuals in the first maybe five centuries were so focused on the second coming that that began their celebration of Advent, and then by the seventh, by the ninth, by the 11th and the 13th century, Jesus hadn't come back. So we thought, well, you know what? Well, let's kind of go back and look at his first coming. And, and then eventually it was, and, and how does he come to us now in getting us ready for the future? Kind of a rolling corpus deal here. Which brings us really to the focal point of this message and um, really kind of where, I, where I'd like to plant uh, our stakes here. It's waiting for Christ's daily advent. In other words, waiting for the ways Jesus comes to us on a daily basis. I will reiterate again, there was only one birth, there will only be one return. But the in-between times is the times where you and I live. It's where our faith is shaped. It's where our spirituality is lived out. It's where our witness is demonstrated in a world that I still believe, in spite of its cynicism and darkness, indifference and ignorance, and even at times complete dismissal of the church, there are still individuals who are willing to take their cues from individuals who are living the life. Just food for thought. Jesus comes to us in the here and now. I love this verse. Paul takes an Old Testament verse and he reframes it and changes it and puts it into now, today, in this moment language. He says, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I listen to you, and in the day of salvation, I help you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You need only do a quick trip through the book of Acts to realize that Jesus was in the habit 
of coming to his people personally in a variety of ways, in dreams, in visions. But he came. He came to those who were looking for him. And at times he even came to those who weren't really sure. But he came. We all wait with a relative amount of confident expectation that he will come back for us one day. And even if we lose our confidence and our sense of expectation that he's coming back, we can keep that quiet. We don't necessarily have to tell each other, you know what, I'm not really, really sure if he's... He said he's going to come back, but man, oh man, it's been so long. Do you really think it's going to happen? So we can get away with that. We can keep that hush-hush. But every day, our lives are to be, uh, really, to, to, to be shaped with, with evidence that we are looking for him to come to us, not only individually, but to, to our assembly, to our church, to our gatherings. Why do we do this? Why do we show up on Sunday with hope and expectation? Because we have this very simple conviction that when we gather together, he will visit us. He'll meet us, whether it's in communion, in worship, in our times of prayer, in our times of preaching and teaching, in our times of being together and and pouring out our hearts to one another, and interceding for one another, we actually believe that he will show up. You know what? That has been something that was um, notoriously annoying for other people about Pentecostals. They actually had the gall to believe that God would come and meet them in the here and now. Through his Holy Spirit, he would be present. He would do something. He would change outcomes. He would heal. He would deliver. He would encourage and inspire and restore and make new. Not just one day, but now. You see, if we lose that, we lose that. We're in trouble. We'd just be like a bunch of lampposts waiting for the end, hanging on for dear life. There is nothing about that as a witness and as a testimony that has any appeal to it. I'll leave that with you. Now, I got a prop. Oh, yes, it showed up. It didn't disintegrate. It didn't go wobbly. Don't worry, you're not going to have a seizure with this one. Now, my wife and I have this ongoing challenge about all the weight training and exercise equipment we have in the basement. You know how it goes, right? A woman's thinking, I would like to have a finished basement. Nice. Maybe we can move things downstairs and turn it into a family room. But lo and behold, there's this mechanical steel and aluminum monstrosity stuck in that part of the basement. It's called the gym. And, of course, the, the, the other statement that's not really said or spoken out too loud uh, too, too often is, 
You don't really get down there too much to do something with all that stuff. You know, it would actually look nice on the side of the curb or at Value Village. But see, hun, look. All that equipment is serving its purpose now. $2,000 later, 20 years later, it's in the sermon illustration, one little piece of it. Cricket, 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 cricket. In the New Testament, there are two words for time. Kronos and kairos. Kronos, and many of you are cluing in, is where we get our English word chronology, right? Chronological. Kairos is a little different. Kronos is horizontal time, right? In other words, January, February, March, April, May, June. That's how we measure time. We measure it with chronos. But kairos is different kind of time. Now, I know this is, you're thinking, oh my goodness, you're stretching my brain. Leave me alone. Just preaching. Let's go home. Kairos time is, is now time. It's not measuring time. It's like the right time, the, that incredible moment when something happened, the opportune time, this out-of-nowhere opportunity, this little point in time that intersected our daily life that we weren't expecting, that we weren't, and, well, we, we, we kind of were, we're not anticipating, but it just happened, and it's like, whoa, that happened. I can't believe it. How many times have you said, I can't believe that just happened? That was a Kairos moment of time. Now, it's just amazing how this works out, right? I mean, it's got no other purpose. I try to do ab. As a matter of fact, I tried to do this the other night, and I'm, my stomach is so sore now. <laughs> so think of the, this one wheel, right, the wheel, as being God. You see, God is constantly intersecting our time. In other words, God can go in and out of time. It's, it's because he's God. We're not, Right? So when Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God working in you both the will and do of his good pleasure, it means that he's always at work. He's always intersecting our time. No, that's probably... Oh, yeah, see, yeah, that. See, that, that's God. That, that's us, the one that won't turn, right? Okay? He's constantly at work in our lives, trying to get our attention, trying to prompt us, trying to use circumstances, people, events, pain, whatever, to get our attention. And we're on the other side. We're, we're the other wheel. And sometimes we, we, we flow with him. I think Paul calls that walking in the Spirit. But then there are times when we just, we don't budge. We're, we're, we're stuck. We're stuck in sin. We're, 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 we've just got such a bad attitude. We're not cooperating with God. We're, we're in a season of we're just, we're not connecting with him. The point of this whole silly exercise is just to help us to understand. That is the life of waiting. The life of waiting. That there are points when God may have spoken something to you, either personally or through scripture, and you're waiting. And he's working. 
And sometimes you're with them, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you get so disappointed and frustrated and fed up of waiting that you just kind of go offline until he gets you again and he starts working with you. But he's always at work. We're always in waiting. Interesting enough, um, Jesus... I love what Jesus says here. He's kind of having a little spat with his brothers. And he says, you know, my time is not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. You see, for you and I, we do live in a now. We want it now, right? Everything now. And we think that maybe God should be concerned about now. He he is. But God's idea of now sometimes doesn't jive with our idea of now. We hate process. Well, I've never heard one mother complain about pregnancy taking nine months. Well, Maybe that's not true. That was a bad illustration. Yeah. Erase that from the tape, please. You understand what I'm trying to say. I think what I want to say is, can you imagine if a child became full-grown in a month's time in her womb? Oh. The point is, it's process. Our lives are about process, about guiding God getting us from here to there. Yeah, keep suing, boy. <laughs> well, let's land this plane. Mike, Mike always laughs when I say that because he says, uh, waiting for Jesus is one of the most familiar shared experiences among believers today. We are people who live in daily anticipation of Jesus because we believe and experience the immediacy of God's work in our lives. It's not only the most familiar shared experiences that we have amongst believers, but it's also one of the most frustrating shared experiences among believers. Because we've all had seasons for God to answer a certain petition, and he hasn't. A season of extended illness, waiting for healing, waiting for deliverance, waiting for a prodigal son or daughter to come home, waiting for a pause or a rest or a time out from the chaos of time in our lives. You see, you and I can see the desired outcome, and we know what we're believing God for is good, but still we wait. And I think, I think here's the, here's the key thing. We get tired of waiting because we are constantly being tried in the waiting. Think about it. What a difference two little letters make. Tired and tried. We get tired of waiting for something to be fulfilled, for God to come through, and whatever, whatever the issue is, because while we're waiting, we're being tried. Now, not all of us are being tried in the same way, but we are being tried. (laughs) 
the trying and the testing of our faith sometimes takes its toll on us. And like David in the Psalms, we're not only praying, how long, O Lord, but how much longer, O Lord. Did a little insight on David's life. He never asked God why. He simply asked, how long? How long, O Lord, must I? Very, very interesting, isn't it? You see, true waiting reminds us that we are not only dependent upon God, but that we're helpless unless he acts. And I'll tell you something. Waiting reminds me that I'm not in control. And this creates a certain amount of insecurity and anxiety and restlessness. Because I have to wait for him to do something. We misinterpret God's apparent inactivity as indifference or worse yet, inability. And that's not the case. But here's the danger. And and we've all been here. We want to make things happen. We want to help God out and call it proactive faith. We want to be Abraham. Right? And go to Hagar and produce Ishmael. We want to be Saul. We want to go and burn the offering when it's not our place and time to. And lose out. All of us who have been in seasons and positions of leadership understand that there is nothing worse than the, the impatient type of leadership, right? Where, where leaders don't want to wait. They just want to go ahead and make it happen. But, but let, me, let me say this too. Because it's easy to pick on the impatient leader, but, but we, we, we forget all too often that the indecisive leader, the, the I'm going to wait and wait and wait and hope and wait and well, I, you know, that's no good either. So the, the point is, is that in between the indecision and in between the, the impatience, we need to be relying on God and hearing from him clearly so that we act in a kairos moment that we... we, we are responsive to the Holy Spirit at the right moment to do the right thing. And that's not always easy. And it's a sign of a great leader. And and I will say that I have seen this time and time again with this young man. Decisions made at the right time for the right reasons. That's leadership, folks. And we can cry and complain and say, well, this is taking too long or this is too fast, but... Anyhow, I'll leave it. I don't even know why I got on that, but the, the point is, here's the point. You see, folks, there is no faith formula that forces God to move according to our timeline. While we're trying to work out some faith formula and, and download a podcast and get a book and go to a seminar and go to a retreat and go to this teaching and buy this CD and, and get counsel from this person to try to figure out how I can kind of get God to to do what I want him to do. He's saying, okay, you you guys are thinking about formulas. I'm thinking about your own formation. I'm thinking about what gets formed and changed and developed in you as you wait. Because I don't respond to formulas, but I do respond to my people who are formed in patience 
and dependency and trust in me. You see, there's nothing like a season of waiting to shape and form the person God wants us to be. Mary's pregnancy. (laughs) Jesus spent 30 years of preparation, literally, for three years of ministry. Would not individuals in industries that quantify productivity, efficiency, and effectiveness say, what a colossal waste of time. Let me tell you something. There was not one blessed second wasted when he exited the waters of the River Jordan and entered into his ministry till the day he rose and ascended back to heaven. Not a minute was wasted. And a season of waiting requires that we trust God's timeline and his timing. We don't take matters into our own hands. And oh my goodness, how many of us wish we could turn the clock back and go all those times that I wouldn't wait, that I pushed ahead, that I wanted my own way, that I said, you know, I've got to, if I don't do this, then that's not going to happen. And it just went south. While we prepare for Christmas to come, so we do year after year after year, the Spirit is preparing us for Christ who not only is coming back but comes to our lives every day. We're constantly being in a place of being prepared. And I think Advent season, this beautiful season that just comes back year after year, is an incredible time of training for us Because we can look back and worship the Christ who came in the manner that he did. Recapture the wonder of how God first came to us. But not only that, then we look around. And we watch with consistent anticipation for the many ways that Christ chooses to come to us in our everyday lives. While we look forward while we wait with confident expectation that he will return as he promised he would. And I'm convinced more than ever that I think God would take great delight in to raise up more Simeons, people who simply have their heart to him and have this general sense that, hey, he's coming back. Maybe even more that, maybe, maybe just this sense of urgency that, folks, he's coming back. And that their lives become kind of like a, a living message of getting ready. But until then, you and I train to be that kind of a person by the way we look for him to come into our lives daily. Do not lose sight of the ways that he is trying to come to you. The next time you're in a conversation and you're dying to go home because you're bored, you're thinking, why on earth am I here listening to this person going on and on and on and on? Do not lose sight of the fact that God not only speaks to us, but he speaks through us. 
And there are times that you are doing things, you are with people, you are places where you never thought you would end up. And in that, Jesus is showing up as inconspicuously to you as he did as a baby to Israel. But he's showing up. The way he comes to us on a day-to-day basis, we need to be retrained to recognize that and to respond appropriately. That's what it means to be Advent people living in between the coming and the return of Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Heavenly Father, it's not easy to live as Advent people. You see, all we can go by is is what we know to be true, uh, the fact that you did come, though really, who of us in this room was an eyewitness? The proof that you came was in the fact that you came to us, present tense. We believe the first story, God, because it's the way that you came to us in our individual lives when we were blind, when we were ignorant, when we were searching, when we were tired, when we were broken, when we were in darkness, when we were lost, when we were confused, when we were going astray, when we were without hope. And you intersected our lives in such a way as to say, I'm here. And you saved us and you changed us and you entered us into this process called growing up spiritually, becoming more like you then you reminded us that you're coming back. So it has been, in many ways, something of a waiting game, of constantly expecting you with confidence, but then daily watching and waiting and anticipating the ways that you will come to us. So Lord, we need your help today. Maybe some of us just need the revival of the fact that you're coming back can be made real to us. But maybe some of us have completely lost sight of the fact that today, right now, in this service, or tonight when we're alone, or tomorrow morning, you may show up in a way that we weren't even anticipating or expecting. We don't want to miss it. Not just for our sakes, God not just for our sakes, but for people who are looking at our lives, for people who need to be reminded that God is alive and well, present tense, and that our lives can mirror that. So Abba, would you, would you help us? As the worship team leads us in this next uh, hymn, a chorus, We want to open up the altar for a short period of time. Not to belabor the point. I think think we all got the point today. But perhaps you are in need of prayer because your individual season of waiting has taken its toll on you. It's got nothing to do with trust or belief or faith, or expectancy, or anticipation. You've just 
grown weary. You're tired. You're tired of being tried in your season of waiting. And you would like a reprieve. You would like an extended rest, maybe even restoration. You want to be able to walk and not faint or grow tired. You want to be able to run, not faint. You just want to come back to that place where you're ready to face today. Tomorrow's another day, but you want to be able to face today with a heart full of anticipation for perhaps how God may choose to meet with you today. I don't know what your season of waiting is. Waiting for a spouse. Waiting for a child to come back home. Waiting for an illness to finally resolve itself. A financial crisis to come to an end. We're all waiting for something. But in the waiting, we can become the kind of people that live with renewed strength and resilience. Not because we've got exceptional willpower. Because the Spirit of God has given us grace and strength. So for the next few moments, and I do invite the prayer team to come forward, we want to not just pray for you, but pray with you in your season of waiting. And there is no, let me just reiterate this, there is no season of waiting that is silly or small or unimportant to God. If you're in a season of waiting, it's because He is trying you and forming you and shaping you to become somebody. And we want to be able to be there to pray with you about that. So, I invite you to come forward for this next little bit of time. We'll pray with you and then we'll dismiss.